Wonderful to see all of you here this evening. I hope you're looking forward to this time of worship and the time of fellowship that we'll have soon thereafter. So, so very glad all of you are here. I've got a quick quiz for you to start out. Who said it? Got some quotes for you. The first one's a gimme. There's only one king, and that's Christ. Who said that? Elvis Presley, responding to a sign that said, Elvis is king. He didn't particularly like that. This audio can be found on YouTube. This happened uh, next month, actually, back in 1974, uh, September 30th. This one's for the young people here. We have the greatest healer of all, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he really heals. Justin Bieber said that. You don't know who that is? Uh, Ask some of the young people. And lastly, telling others is part of our faith, all right. The gospel of Christ must always be an open door with a welcome sign for all. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash said that. These are earthly men who many of us either appreciate or we loathe their style of music or their antics. But there's no doubt they have gotten and still get attention. These are basically, for all intents and purposes, the poets of our day. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 says, For in, li- in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. We're going to talk about this passage this evening and how Brother Paul references the poets of the day during the first century church. This is in Acts chapter 17. If you'd like to be turning there, go ahead, Acts chapter 17. This is part of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. He is speaking to the men of Athens at what was called the Areopagus. I think I'm saying that right. This was a place of high esteem as much as was done through this open air space located at Mars Hill, which is a little easier to say. But this wasn't just a spot on the countryside where they thought this is a nice place for a picnic. Instead, it was a place for, an, for important government, religious, and educational functions. And Paul, in this moment, is having a religious discussion and trying to reach these prominent men in one of the most advanced civilizations of the time. And what does he do? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he references the poets of Athens, just as I have referenced some of our modern-day poets. It is believed that Paul is referencing a poet who lived around 300 B.C. The poet Aratus praises the false god Zeus, some, uh, some say it's Jupiter as well, and actually uses the words, we are his, referring to Zeus, we are his children. So Paul is directly quoting something that a poet said of a false god. And we're going to look and see why this was a good use of Paul's time and of Paul's message this evening. Let's look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples 
made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appropriate, appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul here is talking to the men of Athens, referencing the true God, the living God who made the world, who does not need temples made with hands, who doesn't need to be served by mortal men. And if man would, we see in verse 27, simply seek God, they might actually find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why is this important, and what does it have to do with Johnny, Elvis, and Beaver? Well, we listen to our poets, don't we? We listen to men and women that we see and hear on television and on radio, and we put weight into their words, and we trust them often more than we should. But these men, regardless of their past history of lives they may have lived, are living, they have recognized and acknowledged at one point in time at least, some in many other ways, that the one true God is the one that we should serve. And we need to listen to those messages that come across. And Paul here is using a method to try to bridge a gap between his audience and the true God. That false God you worship, he says, uh, is made of gold and silver. He is made of material things, and you can't be, uh, be um, worshiping that. I want to bridge a gap between the entertainers and poets we like so much and the true God that we must follow today. Back in verse 28, when he references the poets, he says that in the true God we do several things. Three things, in fact. He says that we live and we move and we exist. This will be our lesson for this evening. Each of these verbs used has a definite philosophical significance. We're going to look at each one of these. The first is live. For in God, in the true God, okay? If, if you look at this passage throughout the message, Paul is trying to say you worship a false God, but in the true God in whom we are his children. You see, Paul bridges that gap from the poet to the true God. We are really his children. Aratus was trying to say, you're Zeus's children. No, you're not. And I'm going to give you several reasons why. But we are rather the true children of God, of the true and living God. And in him we live, Paul says. It is because of God that we are alive, because he created us. I don't think that we praise him enough for this. We seek for what Christian blessings we can receive now, which are so important. But we sometimes miss the vast importance of what it was for God to create something just so that he could love it and so that it could worship him. The great I am deserves our admiration because he is and because he created us. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5 mentions this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I made you sacred. In other words, before he even knew us, he loved us. To our teenagers and older children this evening, when did you start loving your parents? I don't know. 
right? That's the answer. That's the answer. You don't know when you started loving your parents, but eventually you realize, hey, I kind of like these people, you know? And so a love and a relationship actually developed. The littlest ones that we have here don't know how much they are loved yet. The little babies, the littlest of the ones that are here this evening, they don't know how much they are loved. They, like our teenagers, will eventually learn, hey, I love these people. But the parents know that they love them. And that's how God loves us. We can't often grasp what that love is like, but what we can rest our hats on is that God definitely loves us, and God protects us. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul went through a great deal, and he mentions it in a few passages of the sufferings that he faced because he was a Christian. And in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16, he talks about how he is, was protected. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Paul needed support, but he didn't get it. But the Lord stood with me, he says, and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. In God, we are able to live and he protects us. Ultimately, our survival will be in heaven. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. Sometimes protection, as Paul was stating there, sometimes protection doesn't necessarily mean you will be 100% protected on this earth, while you live here physically. But Luke chapter 21, let's start in verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. You're going to be persecuted, he is saying here. But it's going to give you an opportunity to witness, to be a testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, because this is going to happen. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. So it's, it's not always good. We live because of God. He has given us our life. Our breath, he has done that, but there's going to be persecution. It's going to happen. You will be hated by all because of my name, verse 17. Verse 18, look what he says. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. What a strange thing. By your endurance, you will will gain your lives. Literally, the word lives there should be translated as soul. You will gain your soul. So sometimes... We are made alive, we are protected, because our lives will continue on into eternity. We can't simply look at at life on this earth as us being protected and housed and secured, because the Christian life, through that, there should be at least some persecution. But then we know that we have a life in heaven, a home in heaven someday, so we don't have to worry about the end of life, but rather look forward to eternity. It is in God that we live, and next, it is in God that we move. 
And this, the word here, move, is derived from the Greek word used for our emotional nature rather than our bodily movements, you see. So when it says move, we would think, wow, I'm moving like this, but it's more of a move of emotion, like, wow, I was moved, right? And whenever you get emotional over something, you might say, I was moved by that. We feel compassion and love. We feel these things because God has put them into us. Paul here in this passage of Acts chapter 17 is telling the men of Athens, what you worship isn't the true God. The statues, the gold, the stone, do you think it actually feels something? Do you think that this this material actually has some sort of feeling for you? Because, I mean, what kind of God is this anyway? You had to chisel it out of stone. You had to make it. You You had to create it. So why is this anything at all but the material that it is made out of. Our Creator has felt so many things, and He has put those same feelings in us. It is our humanity that keeps us grounded and connected to the earth, to our world, and to God. Genesis 5.1 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Sometimes we wonder, What does God look like? What will he look like someday when we meet him? Certainly he'll be different in some ways, but, you know, we were made in the likeness of God. So I think there will be more similarities than there will be differences. In this passage of Acts 17, Paul was appealing to the self-respect of the people listening. He says in verse 29, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver. Right, These people in Athens, they were worshiping these different gods. And we shouldn't think that the divine nature is gold or silver. We shouldn't think that way. It's much better than that because it will live forever. But what do you spend your time doing? As the people of Athens were, were looking around at all of the things they had constructed, the false gods, the idols that they worshipped, you know, they're thinking, wow, I spent a lot of time making that. And you're telling me it's, it's worthless now? Is, is that what's, what you're saying here, Paul? Well, what do you spend your time doing? Is it worth it? Does it help you be a better person? Or is it enabling you to sin more often? The habits that you have devised that get you day by day, is that something that is bringing you closer to Christ or pushing you away? Paul would tell us today that God is not circuitry and touch screens. That's what he would reference. No, rather, God feels things and experiences things that we must notice and appreciate because we are spiritual beings. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We move. Because of God, we are moved spiritually, we are moved emotionally, and someday we will return to Him. Proverbs 22 and verse 2 says that the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Sometimes we feel disconnected from people, and what we must realize is that we are all human. And whenever you feel compassion for someone, reach out to that person. Because remember this morning, I spoke of how we need to reach the weak. 
We need to help the unruly, help the faint-hearted. And we have a connection with those people in one way or another. And I love this passage, Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. How could there not be two people more different? The haves and the haves not, right? On two opposite sides. But what does it say here? The Lord is the maker of them all. John 3, 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We must Believe that and proclaim that to the world. And be moved with compassion for people. Because the men of Athens, as they looked upon their false idols, I've never felt anything for this. What has it really actually done for me? Those are the questions that were coming about. What has God done for you? What are you doing to bring yourself closer to him? Because he is why we have life on this earth. Acts chapter 17 Verse 28, for in him we live, it says, and move and exist. I believe some translation says, and have our being. So lastly, we exist. And this is that which constitutes our true essential being, the intellect and will of man. Paul has appealed to their intellect and religious stature. Look at Acts 17 and verse 10. Is that the one I want? Verse 22, let's turn there. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, that what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So he begins to appeal to their intellect. And say, I've been here for a little while and I'm seeing all these different idols. And I even see one that says that it's to the unknown God. He tells them, you have many gods. And they each do something different. But the true God, it's really he who runs it all. The Greeks would have a difficult time with this because they spread the attributes of what they saw about their creation throughout their false gods. And they had many. Athena, the goddess of wisdom. Apollo, God of the sun, Poseidon, God of the sea. And Paul is trying to make a change here with these people. He says, you have all these gods, but really there's only one true God. And, you know, the the Greeks, they wanted to see the creation that was around them, and they wanted to attribute it to somebody. That's a good thing, but that's why Paul writes Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So it is this passage that Paul says, all that's around you is what God has created. And we must respect and think on that and realize, wow, our God truly is an amazing God. Even though things can be plainly seen in God's creation, man does continue to miss its beauty. Things in our lives get in the way. What the men of Athens thought they were seeing as the truth, Paul is telling them it's not. So he's really trying to reach their hearts here. What is getting in your way of seeing the wisdom of God for people of Athens, it was probably, we've invested a lot of time and energy into all this stuff. 
You know, we've, we've done so much here. Paul's telling them, you've got to change. I'm telling you this evening, you have to change as well if you are to give your life fully to God. Let's look at Job chapter 8. Job chapter 8. Our, our world changes so much. It changes so quickly. It's hard to either, to, it's hard to grasp something before it's just moved on and, and something else comes about. How many Spider-Man movies are we up to now? My goodness, they just keep remaking them, you know? And I like Marvel movies, but they just keep remaking them. Let's let them get old at least. But what we have to realize is when we are looking for knowledge and wisdom, we've we got to not grasp at the thing that's new and brand new and that they're making a new one of. We've got we've to look back some. And I believe Paul, or Job in Job chapter 8 talks about this. Please, he says, inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. We have been brought to this place in our country for some reason, for some, for some way, somehow. And I often like to look back at the past, as Job is instructing here, you know, what would our ancestors have done? And we look back and, and think, man, those are some good things that they did. They messed up in a lot of ways, too. Let's, let's recognize that. But our country is where it is because we've done some good things. Your family is where it is because your fathers, your mothers, your grandparents, they did some good things. And Job is saying we've got to look back at that. We've got to appeal to our intellect because if we appeal to our fleshly desires, the next best thing is what's going to come around and it's going to, it's going to be what people are asking for. I thought the first Spider-Man was great. You know, they made several more. The Word of God is a wonderful thing. We can't rewrite it. We can't place our own thoughts and feelings on it to try to make it fit how we want it to fit. We've got to look and see what has been done in the past and use our intellect and take out what has been good from that. Verse 9, For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? So there is great wisdom in looking back at the past because it is from here that we can glean and, and make good decisions for today. Acts chapter 17, let's turn back there. For in God we live and move and exist. And here Paul, up to this point, he's been, you know, trying to show them you know, you're, you're doing some good things. You've got a, even got a good poet who had some good words. This poet, he says, was a little misdirected. He was focusing on this false God. We need to start focusing on the true God for all these reasons. And in verse 30, he begins in Acts chapter 17, and Paul starts to goad him a little bit. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, he's calling the men of Athens ignorant, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Now, Paul's telling the people here, now God's willing to overlook all this stuff. You know, don't think that because you've sinned so much and you've, you've worshipped these idols for so long that it goes back for decades, Paul tells them. You know, God can overlook that, but you've got to repent. You've got to change your ways now. Let's not worry about the past and don't think that it's so bad God can't forgive you because he can. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. 
It's interesting here, you see that Paul is talking a lot about God. He's not focusing on Christ. Because to the Greeks, it was the gods that they looked to, and Paul is trying to align that with the truth. You know, you're knocking on a good door, he says, it's just the wrong door. You've got to start looking at the one true God, and there was a man, we know this is talking about Jesus, there was a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, by raising this man from the dead. And this was, this was proof, this was real. You think Zeus and, and Poseidon did all these great things, but Paul says there's an empty grave just down the road here that I could show you that there was a man who lay there and he's not there anymore. And Paul's trying to reach these people because of their human ignorance. But look at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Some began to sneer. I don't know about that, Paul. I've, I've got my, my idols over here. I can see it. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that, Dale. You know, I know I've, I've got my problems. I know I've got things that I like to do, ways I like to spend my time. I'm not so sure I can give more of it to God. I'm not sure, Dale, that it's going to make a big difference. Well, there are poets in our world today that try to at least say the right words that say Christ is the only king, that we have to share our faith, that Jesus is the only healer that can really be out there and can heal you of your past sins. Don't be those that are sneering. Because you see, Paul was trying to reach these people using their verbiage, using concepts they understood, telling them about the true and loving God. And then he gets to a part where they're like, I don't know about that. What about you? Others wanted to hear more about it, it said in verse 32. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, and the Aropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So some souls heard. Some minds were changed. Some hearts were changed. And they started knowing and realizing we can live and move and exist in the one true God. Some God, a God that doesn't need me to make stone temples for him. A God that lives in my heart. A God that can really make a difference in my life. He can make a life a difference in your life as well. If you have a spiritual need this evening, if you need to be baptized, please come forward. If you need prayers, come forward, sit on this bench. We'll comfort you and we'll pray with you. Won't you come now as we stand and sing?